Welcome to Grace and Glory Audio, featuring Pastor P.G. Matthew. Today, Pastor Matthew continues his series in the Gospel of Matthew, with this sermon entitled, How Does It All End?, preached on December 31, 1995. Now, if you have your Bible, please turn to Matthew chapter 22. How does it all end? That's what we want to consider as we study this parable of the king's feast. See, Christianity is compared to a feast, not a funeral. Therefore, in this church, we celebrate. Christianity speaks about life and joy and peace and fullness and fellowship and celebration. And we have come to the end of the year. Therefore, it is appropriate to consider this subject How does it all end? In the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 7 and verse 8, we read, Better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof. King Saul began all right, but his end was disastrous. Judas began well, but his end was hopeless. Demas began as a minister of the gospel, but he ended as a lover Not of the kingdom of God, but of this present world. There is an end to our lives. How will it all end? At the end, will the king of kings say concerning us, You good and faithful servant, enter into the kingdom of God prepared for you, and enjoy my eternal blessings. Or will he say, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you. How does it all end? The parable of the king's banquet is a parable that speaks of the judgment at the end. If you look at chapter 21 of Matthew, there is a parable of the wicked tenants and how they were treated at the end. The king's banquet. He sent an invitation. and We want to look at the invitation, this gracious invitation. In this parable of the wedding feast, there are two such parables delivered at two different times. And the other you find in Luke chapter 14. But these two parables teach essentially the same truth. In this parable, Jesus makes reference to the ultimate judgment of those who rejected the gospel invitation for a banquet symbolizing the eternal happiness of Christ's salvation. The invitation to the banquet was sent out to the people of Israel from the beginning. The prophets, one after another, were sent at different times to announce to them the way of salvation through a Messiah. Writer to the Hebrews in chapter 1 says this in the past. God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. The whole sacrificial system spoke about this way of salvation. The whole priesthood and their rituals spoke about this great banquet, this great salvation. The whole institution of the prophets speaks about this great banquet, eschatological banquet. And Israel accepted this invitation. 
and agreed to come to the wedding feast of the king's son. According to custom, when the feast was ready, the king sent his servants again to invite the already invited. But this time they refused to go. They treated this king and his son with contempt and rebellion. They would not honor him. In great grace, the great king sent other servants for the third time with this encouraging word. You read it in verse 4. Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. And he explains how great and sumptuous this dinner is. The 70, Jesus himself, and all preachers of the gospel, down through the Christian centuries, are preaching this same truth. There is a banquet that is ready. Come, feast. Let me tell you, this banquet has been Planned from all eternity by God the Father. God the Father planned this salvation banquet from before the foundation of the world. Paul says this in 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 9 and 10. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus. Who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And in Romans 8.28 we read and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. Who have been called according to his purpose. According to this father's eternal purpose, his son was to grant eternal life to all those whom the father granted him. By his substitutionary death on the cross. Oh, God planned it. And the son executed this banquet, this redemption. From the cross, he cried out, it is finished. Meaning the banquet is ready. The feast is ready now. Christ died for our sins. And he himself interpreted his own death and resurrection in this manner. And he said, now you must declare what? Repentance and forgiveness of sins to all the people. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. That is the general call for all people. Come. Salvation is ready. Redemption is ready. Banquet is ready. Come. One and all. And not only that, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, is in the business now of applying this salvation to everyone who comes. And Paul remarks in 1 Corinthians 5, Verse 7 and 8, for Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival. Let us celebrate. Christ is the manna from heaven. He is the living bread. Oh yes, this feast was announced by Isaiah long ago in such wondrous terms. 
25th chapter and verse 6 of Isaiah, we read on this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples. A banquet of aged wine, the best meats and the finest of wines. That is speaking about a sumptuous salvation. Eternal Son became man. He died in our place and was raised to life according to the scriptures. And if you want to read how this banquet is prepared, go home and read the 53rd chapter of Isaiah which describes the fact that this eternal son, Jesus Christ, the suffering servant, died in our place, and he now justifies many by his righteousness. And in the 54th chapter and the 55th chapter of Isaiah, the great invitation is given out for the Jews and for the Gentiles to come and experience this richest affair. Let's turn to the 55th chapter and read it, the first few verses from the beginning. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest of Give ear and come to me, hear me, that your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. Listen, listen to me. You say you have no money, don't worry. Oh, this is extremely costly. No man can pay money. No man can pay money. This invitation is free. It is freely given to all who are needy. All who hunger and all who thirst come. The best banquet which meets your every spiritual need. It alone gives you peace with God. It gives you free pardon of all your sins. It alone gives you joy. It alone gives you eternal life. It alone clothes you with the irreproachable and perfect righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. Whosoever believes on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. King's invitation rejected. We are told in Matthew 22, we are told... In verse 5, but they paid no attention. They gave no consideration. They gave no thought regarding the king and his son, Jesus Christ. God created man with a mind to think first of all God. Man refuses to think of his maker. He is a practicing atheist. As we read in Psalm 10, he lives as though there is no God. He does not believe God will call him to account. He thinks God has forgotten his creation. Man's mind is engaged in other priorities. He does not believe in the kingdom of God. He does not believe in eternal judgment. He does not believe in sin or guilt or judgment or hell. Above all, he has no time to consider these matters. Now he must go to work. 
He must make a bit more money. He must go for vacation. He must play golf. He must make his wife happy. He must take care of his children. He must entertain himself. He must be active in political causes. He must prepare for his retirement. He has no time to think about God and king and eternal life. If possible, he is working hard to gain the whole world. He didn't listen to what Jesus said. If you gain the whole world, but if you lose your soul, what does it profit? What matters? Is this world and life in this world? He is busy. Go home and read Luke 17 and 17 and 18. People are busy buying and selling, planting and building, marrying and giving in marriage, eating and drinking. Fully engrossed in this world and not at all concerned about the world to come. Oh, he's like people of Noah's days and Lot's days. He is fully engaged in here and now. He is sensual. He walks by sight. He lives to satisfy his lusts. He has no time for spiritual things. He's a worldly man. He's a worldly woman. Such people can be likened to that parable of the soil, soil number three, the deceitfulness of riches, the pleasures of life, worries about many things, desires of other things, crowded their minds and choke concerns of the world to come. This worldliness has choked and destroyed all spiritual interests. But some of them are outright hostile to the invitation. Outright hostility. They mock the messengers, the preachers of the gospel. The prophets and Baptist, John the Baptist, and everybody else, including Jesus, the apostle. They mock the message. That is the message of the gospel that Christ died for you on the cross. They hate that. This whole idea that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all our sins. It sounds so stupid and so simple to them. So they mock the message. They mock the king, eternal, infinite, personal, almighty God. And they mock his own only begotten son. They would say, they would speak about the ultimacy of matter. There is no God and there is no God's Son. It is all the creation of human mind. And not only they mocked the messengers, they killed these servants. Like the wicked husbandmen who killed the servants and finally the son of the owner of the vineyard. They killed these servants. They demonstrated their hatred to the eternal king in this way. They have no fear of the king. They know this king is a wimpy, very weak person, weaker than themselves. Any hostility from him we can handle. It's not going to happen at all. That's what they said to the preaching of Noah. They said that, isn't it? Noah said, you know... God is sick and tired of you and your violence, your lawlessness, your mocking, your contempt. For God is going to send a flood to destroy all. They they love that. There's no such thing. No such thing is ever going to happen. 
But let me tell you, it did happen. Remember Lot's time, and I'm sure Lot was a righteous preacher. He also spoke about it. He was sick and tired of what he was seeing in Sodom and Gomorrah. He also said, God is going to deal with you. They said, no deal. And it happened. And let me tell you, these people mocked God and his message and his invitation. They became outright hostile. And they killed the prophets, the preachers, the messengers. Then there are others, you know, who hear the invitation, but they are decent people. They always devise courteous excuses. They are diplomatic in their rejection of the gospel. And you read about these excuses in Luke chapter 14, where another account of this feast is recorded. And look at those excuses. What is it? I bought a field. And he says, I must go now to look at it. What contempt for the eternal king. What confidence in your own life. I'm bought a field. Again, the idea is this world and the business, isn't that true? Worldliness. Oh, no, no, that was a flimsy, stupid, superficial excuse which only revealed how contemptuously you treat the king and his invitation. He didn't have to go to his field. He already bought it. He could have gone any time. And then the other fellow said, I bought five pair of oxen. Again, business, isn't that true? Making a buck. I must, I'm going, he didn't say I must go, I'm going to document or to prove and check and see whether these oxen are worth my investment. Oh, they would have waited. You own them. That is the flimsy, superficially courteous nonsense that people give when you present to them the gospel. They have no time. They are busy. Oh, then another fellow said, I got married. I cannot come. Nowhere in the book it is said that you shouldn't go to a banquet because you got married. It's a good thing you take that wife to that banquet and make her a little happy. The stupidity and the superficiality of excuses devised by minds of unbelievers. Let me tell you what the real story is to them. This banquet is at the very bottom of their list of priorities. You see them all the time. You see such people all the time. They are all ears when it comes to this world. But they are bored. They are unhappy and miserable. They have no time to think about their eternity. How many of us think that we may die today? Not very many. Lowest priority assigned to the soul and to your salvation. Lowest priority. They detest the king. They detest king's son. They, they detest king's feast. They have absolutely no spiritual need. They are not hungry. They are not thirsty. They are not lost. They are not sick. They are not sinners. They are not guilty. They are rich. They are righteous. They are secure. They are full. They have need of nothing. 
Thirdly, let's look at King's strategy. He has always an alternative strategy. If he is going to have a banquet for his son's wedding, and it will be attended by all people, they will come and they will honor this king and his son. Let's turn to the book of Acts, the 13th chapter, which is a commentary on this parable. St. Paul was speaking to the Jewish people and they didn't want to listen. Look at verse 46. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, we had to speak the word of God to you first since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life. We now turn to the Gentiles for this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, look at that, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord and all who were appointed for eternal life believed God has a plan. Many are invited but few are chosen and the chosen from all eternity will listen to the invitation. They are all ears. They have their priorities straight. The Spirit of God will apply the message into their hearts. They will sit at the edge of their chair. They will welcome the message into their hearts because the Lord opens their hearts. They welcome this gospel invitation. That message that says, Oh, everyone who thirsteth, come into the waters. He that hath no money, come by and eat. By milk, by wine, by water for refreshment, milk for nutrition, wine for joy, all wrapped up in this feast consisting of Christ. He has a plan to fill his house. So he says, go to the street corners of the city. There you will find people who are publicans and sinners. The Pharisees and Sadducees treat these people with contempt. They categorize them as publicans and sinners, people of the earth, unfit to enter into the kingdom of God. The Pharisees and Sadducees boldly thought that they will Eat with God in the kingdom of God. With Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we are his descendants. No such thing. God has other people, publicans and sinners, go to the street corners and tell, and everyone bring them in. Anyone. And they brought in publicans and sinners. So the gospel goes out to these people who did not deserve salvation nor expect salvation. Oh, I'm just a wicked sinner. Nobody cares for me, but let me tell you, God cares for you. Invite to the banquet anyone you find, verse 9 tells us. And not only that, it also means now the gospel is going to the Gentiles. In Luke 14, the servants are told now you go to the country lane, you will find some Gentiles way out there. Oh, go into all the world. First in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. The gospel goes out to the needy. 
And we read in the 14th chapter, they found people, they are poor, they are blind, they are crippled, they are lame. That is the doctrine of total depravity. They are people who say, I'm a sinner. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. By the Holy Spirit, they have been made conscious of their blindness, their crippled nature, their lameness, their poverty. They understand they are sinners, they are lost, they are wretched. And they grasp the offer with all earnestness. You really believe that God loves me? I'm just a nobody. I'm a wicked person. I'm a lost person. I'm the town prostitute. I'm nobody. God says, yes, yes, God loves you. I mean, you telling me that this eternal God, King of kings and Lord of lords, for the wedding of his son invites me that he would baptize me with such honor and dignity. Oh, yes, that's exactly. And let me tell you, compel them to come in. Let me tell you, he loved you from all eternity. Hallelujah. He's been taking care of you from all eternity. Even before the creation of the world, even before you were ever born, God loved you with such a special love. You are not only invited, you are chosen. And you know, they just listened to it. They loved it. And they didn't need three invitations, only one invitation. They all came. They all came. Only one invitation. They all came and filled the banqueting hall. The banquet of salvation will be enjoyed only by the poor. Blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. The rich he sends empty away. The sophisticated, the powerful, they all are sent empty away. But God loves the sinner. But let me tell you, yes, you are poor, you are blind, you are wretched, you are lame. You are nothing. But God chose you in Christ before the creation of the world. And Jesus himself said in John 6, 37, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive out. Meaning they will come in and taste this feast of great salvation to their soul's great satisfaction. Yes, the blind, the poor, the crippled, the lame, the hungry, the thirsty, the sick, the sinner, they come. With the great delight they come. With great passion they come. With great thankfulness they come. With great joy they come. They are coming every day. All over the world. From the gutters. From the street corners. They are coming. Because they are the elect of God. They will be drawn by the Father to come to the Son for this free salvation. But let us understand the fourth point which is. This king's wrath. People have this idea, you know, this Jesus is nice and lovely with dimples on his cheek. He's always hugging everybody, you know. This Jesus who died on the cross, he's also the judge. And his father is also God. They are angry. There is another side to this God. He is wrathful. Oh, I know. 
this description doesn't fit your conception of God. It is not my problem. It is your problem. Get rid of that stupid conception from your head and have an understanding of God who is holy and who is righteous and who is also love. So king's wrath, he begins to express his wrath. He will judge. He will pass the sentence. This king is not just love and mercy. He is king. He therefore meets our judgment to those who oppose him and treat him and his son with such contempt. Look at Matthew 22 and verse 7. It says this, the king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. An enraged king. This speaks about the rejection of natural Israel who rejected Jesus Christ and his gospel. It is speaking about the rejection of those who consider themselves to be privileged and yet refuse to embrace the gospel. This may also point to the destruction of Jerusalem by the Roman army in AD 70. If you read the history of Josephus, book 4, 5, and 6, he speaks about the destruction of a million Jewish people in the city and burning down of the temple. Oh, that was already prophesied by Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 19 and verse 44. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone or another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you because you did not receive the invitation to this great banquet. Now look at the wrath of God revealed to the one who came. You see, not to come to his wedding banquet is a crime. But if you come without preparation, that's criminal also. So you notice there is a fellow who just showed up in there. It's interesting to see that in verse 11 and 12. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. Friend, that's an irony. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man pushed the servants and pushed everybody else. Everybody else told, hey, this is not the way to come. Boy, he was powerful. He pushed everybody else. He said, he knows me, man. And he just came in, supposedly. Let's find out. Not only king's wrath showed against the nation Israel, his wrath is now showed against those who come to the banquet yet without the required wedding garment. The king comes to see the guests. The king comes to see the guests. His eyes are like flaming fire. He immediately notices the one without wedding garment. You see the blind, the poor, the crippled, the lame, the publican, and the sinners, they, they are incapable of attiring themselves in keeping with the dignity of the occasion. So we must assume correctly what? That this great king made provisions for their cleanliness and their proper attire. He provided them with washing and brand new garment fit for them. The Bible says, blessed are the pure, for they will what? See God. 
Hebrews 12 and, and verse 14 tells, without holiness, no one shall be able to see God. And this guy just came in his own way. He said, no, God is going to see me. I know him. He's nice. Let me tell you, he's not going to be nice to the independent, to the self-willed, to those who depend upon their own righteousness. That's why he chose the foolish things of the world, the weak things of the world, the lowly things of the world, the despised things of the world, and the nothings of this world to shame the wise and the mighty. These nothings, they came, and they received the washing, and they received the brand new garment. They put it on with thanksgiving. And that is what some of you wear, the Bible says, in First Corinthians 6, it says some of you were thieves and sexually immoral and homosexual and all that. Then he says, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. If you are truly elect of God, you will experience that cleansing, that washing, that justification. And you will be given the garment of holiness with which you see God and live. The Spirit applies Christ's redemption to sinners. The Spirit makes us holy and blameless in Jesus Christ. But this one person is not so washed and dressed. He is a religious professor without reality. If you are one like that, you better think about it. He represents millions of people who crowd into church without understanding the true gospel, without true repentance, without true faith, without true regeneration, without conversion, without understanding the lordship of Jesus Christ in their lives. These people are independent, self-willed. They depend on their own righteousness. They do not consider themselves to be sinners in need of the gospel of Christ. They despise the cross. They think they'll be accepted on the basis of their own good works. They believe there are other ways to come to God, like philosophy, culture. Oh, they are very literary. They read every novel in town. They are politically savvy. They are very educated. They hope that God will not notice. They are like Cain. You see, there was a proper way to come to God, but Cain said, no deal, I'm going to come the way I want to come, whether he liked it or not. And he came. God didn't like it. And his countenance fell. Self-will, independence, having no faith in the gospel. On that day, he will surely notice his omniscient God. He sees all our thoughts and ways. He will see, he will ask you to explain. And you will try to explain, but your mouth will be stopped. Before you said, you know, when I get into the presence of God, I will present such arguments. You say salvation is by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That you have to believe in the blood of Jesus Christ that is shed in behalf of you. Oh, yeah, that's your way of explaining it. But there are other ways of coming to God. And that day I will explain to him and he'll be impressed with my argument. That's what you say now. But when you stand before God, you'll be muscled. The t- 
tongue will stick to the roof because you will be so convicted of your wickedness. The arguments will evaporate from your mouth. You'll be speechless. You will be bound. It says that. Bind him. Hand and foot. He lived his life without paying attention to the law and its power of God. And now he feels the law of God in all its power. Bind him. Hand and foot. You will feel the power of his law gripping you. And then the king says, throw him outside. Three places you find that. In Matthew 8, verse 12. Matthew 22, verse 13. Matthew 25, verse Verse 30, in all these places, Jesus Christ himself says, such people will be thrown out. But this is tragic. This guy was professing religious person. He hoped to get into heaven all his life. What anticlimax to live in that expectation only to hear, bind him hand and foot. Throw him outside, away from the light of God, away from the banquet, away from fellowship with God, away from joy, away from celebration, away from life eternal. Thrown outside into darkness. There will be weeping, there will be gnashing of teeth there. This is hell that awaits for all those who reject the gospel of God. And this is hell for all those phonies who go to church but never submitting themselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. There you'll be conscious. You will remember. You'll be in torment. You'll be in agony. And it will be without end. The religious without reality. The openly hostile. The worldly who did not have time to consider the state of his soul. They all will be there. Turn with me to Luke chapter 13. Let me tell you. An interesting point that Jesus Christ is making concerning such people. Verse 28, Luke 13, there will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth. And this, there will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth. And then we are told, when you see in hell, every person will be given an understanding of this great banquet that is going on in heaven. They will have an understanding. What might have been when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you you yourselves thrown out. People will come from the east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first and the first will be last. They will see. They will remember. They'll be conscious in hell, in the outer darkness, away from light, away from joy, away from peace, away from eternal life, and above all, away from the magnificent presence of God. They will see. And what does it do to them? It causes them to wail and gnash their teeth. There comes a time no more repentance is possible. We are not told that Jesus said, or the king said to this guy, say, hey, why don't you repent now? No, no. The time is over. They will see, but they will not taste it. The end will be disastrous 
Revelation 20 verse 15 says, If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Finally, the king's grace. But others, the elect of God, the blind, the poor, the crippled, the lame, the public, and the sinners. To them, God shows grace. They came in true repentance and faith to Jesus Christ. They will be clothed in the robe of perfect righteousness. Turn with me to the book of Revelation chapter 19. Where there is an interesting expression is given. Let me read to you from verse 6. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude. Like the roar of rushing waters. And like loud peals of thunder shouting. Hallelujah. For our Lord God almighty reigns. Let's rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. Yes, they were blind. They were poor. They were lame. They were crippled. They were publicans. They were the but of the jokes of the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the self-righteous. But God enabled them to make themselves ready. Fine linen, bright and clean was given to her. You see, the gift of this robe given to her. It's a gift, but we are told fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. It is a gift, and yet it is your own also. This garment that God requires consists of justification and sanctification. The imputed and the imparted righteousness of God. Then the angel said to me, write, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Blessed. They are blessed. They are faithful servants. They enter into the joy of the Lord as the bride of the son of this king. What blessings await us. What a blessed end await us. Even now by faith, let me tell you, we are tasting this feast. A foretaste. If you are a true Christian, as I preach this word, you are, you are experiencing a taste of it. You know why? Christ tasted death that was ours on the cross. That we may taste not death, but this rich banquet of his eternal salvation. Come, everyone who thirsts, come. Those who are hungry, come. Those who have no money, come. And we went. Drawn by the Father. Drawn by the Spirit, we went. Hallelujah. For since we are forgiven, justified we are. We put our trust in Jesus Christ by the faith he granted us. And some of us were like Naaman who almost lost out. Isn't that true? Remember the gospel was preached to him, Naaman. What was the gospel? Go to this muddy Jordan and dip yourself seven times and you'll be saved. And he was arrogant. He was proud. He was mumbling. He was angry. He was humiliated. He almost went to hell. But he was an elect of God. And so he listened to sound counsel and he got off of the animal. 
He stripped himself of all this regalia. And everybody saw he was what? A leper. And he dipped himself one time, came up. Second time came up. Third time came up, nothing happened. Fourth time, fifth time, sixth time, seventh time he dipped and came up, saved. Then remember Lord's wife. Oh, she had everything. But she missed it, isn't it? Became a pillar of salt. The angel came and preached the gospel. Destruction is coming, get out. That's the gospel. She didn't want it. Receive the gracious invitation to this eternal joy. Repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Simple. And you will be what? Saved. And you will taste this banquet. Not only then, but now. The joy of the forgiveness of all our sins. The joy of eternal salvation. Joy of being accepted by the Father and being embraced by the Father. The joy of hearing from his lips. Come. Come. Faithful, good servants, enter into the joy of the Lord prepared for you from the foundation of this world. What's your excuse? C.H. Spurgeon speaks about these excuses. I'm too busy. For God, I'm too busy. I'm too good. In other words, I don't really need this type of salvation. That must be for outright sinners. I'm, I'm too good. Or another argument, the reverse of it, I'm too bad. I don't think God will save me. Another, it's too soon. I have to live a little more this uh, wonderful life out in the world. They tell me it's good, you see. The prodigal son found out it wasn't all that good. And he came home. Another argument is, well, I don't think I'm elect of God. This, this amazing doctrine you are talking about. I think I'm an elect of God. How do you know that you are an elect of God? You come. The Bible says he will never drive away anyone who comes to him. And then he said, well, you know, I cannot trust in Christ. There is some problem with me. Oh, no. The answer is you will not trust in Jesus Christ. That's what it is. What's your excuse? Some of you may be called to your eternity next year. Maybe tomorrow morning. Some of you, maybe today. What's your excuse? To this banquet of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Which doesn't require anything from you. He does it from beginning to end. Did you say you are blind? He will make you see. Did you say you are lame? He will make you walk. Did you say you are crippled? He will heal you. Heavenly Father, we pray. Help us, O Lord, to obey the Spirit of God. By obeying the Word of God, which we know what the Word is telling us. Help us to prove ourselves to be sons of God. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Grace Valley Christian Center is committed to the unchanging truths of the Holy Scriptures. We have been proclaiming the whole counsel of God since 1974 through our weekly worship services, our website resources, and our publishing ministry. For more information about our church, to find more edifying sermons, or to order books by the Rev. P.G. Matthew, 
please visit our website at gracevalley.org.